I want to do is I want to pray one more time um, as we jump into what God has for us this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we're going to open up 1 Corinthians in just a, a few minutes, and uh, I believe that you've just kind of been working some things into my heart. Um, and I, I pray that you would convey those things through me well this morning, and that through your spirit, Lord, um, that, that you would uh, provide boldness and, and courage, and, and I, I pray uh, that ears would be open to hear what you have for us. Um, Lord, I don't want this just to be my talk um, or my time up here. I want this to be the time that you use to speak to our people. And so um, would you do that magnificently uh, this morning by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to throw a picture up here on the screen. Um, that we're going to go ahead and throw that up, guys. Uh, but do you see yourself as a ferocious lion uh, for the gospel? Um, or do you see yourself more as kind of like a, a little kitten who's uh, play, playing around with yarn uh, from time to time. There you go. Uh, a roaring lion or a, a little kitten. This has kind of been the image that the Lord has given me uh, th throughout this week, just in my own heart, um, kind of challenging me with that idea. Because sometimes, like, I want to think that I'm that roaring lion for the gospel who's ready just to stand up and be bold at any moment, at any time. But there are so many times in my life where I'm not that courageous guy that I feel like the Lord has, given, has, has allowed us to be or allowed me to be, but I'm often more times the kitten who's just occupied with the, the ball of yarn, kind of tossing it around to and, and fro. I, and a, a little more often than I would like to admit, I'm the, the picture there on the right. And in my time with the Lord this week, he just kept bringing me back to these images and the thoughts of just how ferocious and rugged these early disciples and the early uh, followers of, of Jesus were. And I, and I couldn't help it, no matter where I was at in the Gospels or where I was at in the, in, uh, uh, throughout Paul's letters, he just kept bringing me back to, to this picture of the early disciples and just how rugged and ferocious they were. The guys like John the Baptist, guys like uh, uh, Paul, the, the 12 disciples with, with, with all of their ups and all of their downs, these guys were uh, absolutely rugged. Like John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, uh, we see him and he is just ruthlessly going around and he's telling people about the goodness of Jesus who's coming. He's saying, there is one who's coming that I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. And, and he, he goes throughout all the land and he's telling people, hey, get ready for this guy. Get ready for Jesus. Repent. Repent of your sin. And he's calling out sin in people and he's calling and he said, hey, get ready for Jesus to come. It's rugged. It's a lion kind of a life. And then you got these 12 disciples, right? You got these 12 disciples that Jesus calls and just 12 ordinary guys. I mean, nobody that would have naturally just stood out amongst the crowd. He goes and he grabs these 12 guys and he says, hey, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And so they walk away from their occupations and they go and they begin to, to follow Jesus and he commissions them to, to go out and to be his disciples and he sends them out in Luke chapter 9. And as he sends them out, he gives them his power. He gives them authority. He tells them to go and proclaim the, the kingdom of God. And, and as they're proclaiming the kingdom of God, he gives them the power to, to heal sickness and he gives them the power to cast out demons. And so they go and they're traveling from village to village. They go and they proclaim the good news uh, they proclaim that Jesus, the Son of God, has come, and, and he wants the, the villages to know about this. But I wonder, as he's going from village to village, what that actually looked like, right? And to some degree, we've got to kind of speculate a little bit of what that might look like. But we know that as you go to village to village, and, and from modern missions, what happens is this is something that doesn't just happen overnight. It's not something that happens fast. Going from village to village and spending time with people, that actually, it takes a lot of time. It's not an overnight thing. You don't just show up in the village and say, hey, I'm here to talk about the gospel. 
and, and then walk away. There's a significant amount of time that takes place. You've got to get to know the people. You go in, and Scripture talks about how you go in and you find a person of peace. You go in and you, and you find that person of peace and you sit down in their home and you share a meal with them. And as you eat at their table, you hear their story and you share your story. There's, there's some connection that's made. There's relationship that's built. And then you begin to hear the history uh, of, of the community that they are in, the dynamics of what goes on there, who leads that community, who, who are the movers and the shakers of that community, where has there been spiritual depression in that community, where has, where has there been high spots and low spots in that community. Going from village to village wasn't something that was easy. It wasn't something that was just in and out. It's something that actually took some time. It takes time and a whole lot of patience to love people the way that God was sending these disciples to go out and to love one another. And so why would somebody go out and do that? Why would somebody go out and spend this type of time with them? What Jesus tells these disciples as he's sending them out, he says, don't take anything with you. Don't take a bag, don't take money, don't take any supplies. All I want you to know is that you have the power of God and the mission of God as you go. Don't take anything else with you. What do you mean? I, I can't take any provisions? No, don't, don't take anything with you. Go and spend time in that village and you share the gospel with those people. Why would they spend that kind of time? Well, they saw Jesus do it. They, they, they were around him so much that they had spent time with him. And not only did they spend time with him, they got close to him. They knew his heart. They knew his mission. And then he told them to go and do it. And not only did he tell them to go and do it, but he gave them the power and the authority to go out and do it as well, to go out and love people well, to go out and share the gospel with people well. And so then, as he told them to do it, they go out and they do it. And then you come to Luke chapter 10, just a chapter after he sends out these 12, that 12 turns into 72. And so Jesus gives a mission and a commission to, the, the, to these 72 exactly the same way that he gave to the 12. He says, don't go out, don't take any money with you, don't take any bag with you, don't take a fanny pack with you, don't, don't, don't take the, the modern luxuries that would make you comfortable and make you lean on these things. I don't know about you, when, you, when I travel anywhere, especially out of country, um, I, I know that there's going to be, I'm walking away from some of the comforts of my life. And then when I, and so to make it as comfortable for me as I go, I try to bring the modern comforts with me. So I, I pack my three ounces of shampoo, right? I take, I take my little itty bitty deodorant. I, I take, you know, the, the little one and a half ounce deal of, of uh, toothpaste because everybody benefits from that. But I, I try to take all of my luxuries with me. Jesus says, don't take any of this stuff with you. What I want you to take with you is the mission of God and the power of God to go along with you. And so they went. They went from village to village proclaiming that Jesus is here. But this time when he sends out those 72, there's a little caveat that he gives that he didn't tell the 12. He says, yeah, I want you to know that I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst wolves. Now, you know what wolves do with sheep, right? They seek to devour they, they seek to destroy. He says, I'm going to send you out as she... I'm, I'm not sending you on an easy mission. I'm not sending you on a mission where you're going to go and you're going to always feel comfortable about this. I'm sending you actually on something that is a bit more dangerous than what you might actually like. I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And Scripture, you know what? It doesn't tell us that, that any one of those 72 raised up their hand and said, oh, now that you say it like that... Now that you said that there's risk involved with this, I'm going to go ahead and go back. Now, there are some other scenarios in the, in, in the Gospels where that takes place. But with these 72, there's not one person that we know of that raised their hand and said, you know what, because of this new information that you just provided, I'm going to go back. Like my dog, I need to go walk him a little bit. There's some things I need to take care of. None of them did. 
Why doesn't anybody raise their hand here? Well, they clearly understood the mission of God. They, they clearly understood that their, their, their call, they knew that they had the power of God. And when you understand these two things, when you understand the mission of God and the power of God, you're able to walk into scenarios and you say, you know what? I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what this is actually going to look like. You're, you're able to say, well, what can man do to me? Okay, man, like what's the, what's, what's the worst that can happen? Paul says in, uh, in, in his letters that uh, if, uh, oh man, I just lost, lost my train of thought. Uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? It's like, what, what can man do to the, the worst that can happen is I can lose my life. And the best thing that can happen to me is that I can lose my life. This is, so if you understand the mission of God and the power of God that comes along with that, you're able to walk into scenarios and say, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is the best thing that could happen. People hear the gospel, people hear the good news, and you get to see Jesus. Maybe, hopefully not as soon as you would um, like, but. I was spending some time prepping for this, and, and I, the, just the thought came to my mind is, I just wonder if we know the mission of God. Like, if you're sitting here, like, if, if we know the mission of God, if we know the power of God, like, do, do you know what Jesus has called you to as a follower of Christ? I mean, we're sitting here, and I'm, I'm presuming, I'm presuming 100%, right? I'm presuming 100% of us know the Lord. My presumption may be off, but I'm just going to make that assumption right now. That 100% of us in this room know Jesus. And if you know who Jesus is, do you know the call that he has given you? Do you know the mission to, to go into all the world, to go locally, regionally, and globally to share the good news of the gospel with people? To, to, to know that, hey, God of heaven sent Jesus, his son, to take away sin so that you might be able to spend forever the sin that was due us, his son took, so that we might be able to live in, in, communion, in communion with him now, but to live with him forever and eternity. And, and we are to take that call, or we to take that truth, that gospel truth, that good news, and to share it with the, the people in our local, our regional, and our, our global community. Do, do you know that that's your call? And if you know that you're called, do you know that it's not you who does that work? That it's the power of the Spirit of God that's at work in you. That if you are a believer in Christ, he's put his spirit inside of you and he's put his spirit inside of you. He's given you gifts and he's given you gifts to go out and to do what he's called you to. When you know the mission of God and you know the power of God in there, you're able to walk through and say, what can man do to me? What's the worst that can happen here? Well, these men, they, they go out. And as Jesus told them to do, and then they fiercely and just boldly go from village to village sharing the good news of Jesus. And then you come to Luke chapter 10, verse 17, and I love how Luke says this. He says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, Jesus says to them, and, and I love this because it's like a proud father looking at his children who's done what he asked them to do, but knowing that he's behind all the work. He, he, he says, man, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Can you imagine how encouraging that was for those disciples who were just out speaking in Jesus' name to know when they came back it was effective? That Jesus was doing, it was the power of God at work through them? Like, how encouraging would that be? To know that the work that you've been putting your hands to. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What drove these guys to go from village to village? Well, they saw Jesus do it. They spent time with Jesus. He told them to go do it. And he gave them the authority to go do it. And so what did he, they do? 
they went and they did it. I think the thing that's been reverberating inside of my spirit this week is that Christianity has become somewhat tame in our culture. And, and, and I'll make it even more personal. In my own life, the thing that the Lord was convicting me in, in my time with Him was that my Christianity, my walk with the Lord maybe has become tame. Where I want to feel like a lion sometimes, I don't necessarily feel like a lion all the time, or, or act like a lion. A lot more times I'm just busy and occupied with the yarn, playing around like a kitten. Not roaring like a lion, not ferocious like that. And I want to live lion-hearted love, like what we see with Jesus and what he called out of the disciples, what he called out of his followers. But it feels like somewhere down the line, We've become tamed. Maybe I, I, I've become tamed. Like maybe somewhere along the line, we, we're, we're missing something. And we could try to put all kinds of reasons on it. We can say, well, you know, something happened from the colonization uh, of Christianity into America, that uh, it was harder in the East, and as it came to the West, like that things changed, and now it was easy to be a Christian here. We, we could talk about the lack of persecution that's taken place in, in the American Christian culture over the years, although I think that that's changing um, right now, the tide is, uh, it's not as easy as it has been to be a Christian. We can talk about the comfort that we've had, the routines and the patterns that we've created. We could blame it on all sorts of things. But I don't know about you. I don't want to blame my spiritual apathy or blame your spiritual apathy maybe on, on, on some, hist- some long line of history. Uh, what I want to do is I want to look at the, the, what's going on in my own heart and say, Lord, fix this. Like, what's going on? Like, fix what? Like, why don't I love like you? Why, I'm not, why aren't I ferocious like you are ferocious? Do some work in, inside of me. Don't let me blame it on somebody else. And then now, let me start roaring like a lion. I don't want to be purring around like a kitten, playing around with balls of yarn. I want to be out and be ferocious for the gospel. I also know if you look at, like, where you're at in your life and where you're walking with the Lord and just like, man, I, I, I want to blame where I'm at on somebody else or give credit to something that, that maybe is not there. But I don't know about you. I don't want to purr anymore. <laughs> I want to roar like a lion. Does anybody else, like, feel that in your spirit, like the Lord working some things like that in you? Like, I don't, just, I don't want to play games. I want to get after the mission that Jesus has called us to. You might be asking, well, how does that fit in with 1 Corinthians Well, uh, in chapter 13? Well, we're supposed to get to that. Um, I, I think somewhere along the line with what we've been talking about, the gathered church has settled in com- to, into complacency. And where we've settled into complacency, where that sets in, entitlement shows up. That gift is mine or... I want your gift, or I want what they have. Why can't I do what they do? And when entitlement begins to show up, I think the love for God's people and the love for his mission just kind of goes out the window. And so the call then, when we walk around complacent and entitled, I think what happens is the call to go from village to village or from from person to person or from town to town or friend to friend and share the gospel I think that the command that Jesus gave us then, then becomes maybe more like a request than a command. Like, if you can get around to it, if it, if it fits into your schedule, then go ahead and, and do it. And when that happens, loving people around us, then that becomes an optional thing for us. And you see this happening in the church in Corinth. 
And, and he talks about it in chapter 12 when they're fighting over what the spiritual gifts are. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. But Paul was saying, listen, I want you guys to be united in the gifts that you have. I want you to remember what these gifts are for. Don't fight over having what he has or what she has or not having these certain things or boasting over the gifts that you have. It's like, let, let's not lose focus on why you have spiritual gifts. These gifts are to help build up the church, not to tear it down and to build it up so that we might be able to, to, in unison, have the power of God to push back the darkness in our culture. Don't lose track of why you have these, these, these gifts. And so after Paul finishes up in chapter 12, he moves into 13, and he's going to say, you can have all the gifts in the world. You can have all the power in the world, everything that I could offer you. But if you don't have love for people, if you're... Fierce love for God and his love for people has become tame, then there's no roar left in your voice. We're just a bunch of purring kittens sitting around. You have effectively tamed your ability to be effective for, for, for the gospel if we've lost this lion-hearted love for people. And, and it's when Paul writes this, uh, this chapter, this, this, this letter, this part of the letter to the church in Corinth, it's not really something that they had to belabor because they knew exactly what he meant when he said it. And it's not even something that we have to belabor because when we read it, we know exactly what he's talking about, what, what love is to look like. But when he writes it, I'm sure the question is in the back of his mind, as I write this, will anything change? Will they hear it and do anything differently? Will they hear it and just brush it off? Or will they let Jesus begin to do some work in their hearts and begin to massage their hearts and want the things that I want? Look at chapter 13 real quick in verse 1. It said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I've got prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth, with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And in verse 8, those are the gifts that they were really fighting about. Like these were, these were like the majors, right? And, and, they, and they were all torn up about these. He says, these gifts that you're fighting over, they're going to pass away. For we know in part, and we'll prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When I read that, I hear, when I began to roar, when I began to roar and stay focused on the gospel, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me sum up these first three verses like this. You can have every spiritual gift that's ever been handed out. You can have the sign gifts. You can have the administrative gifts. You can have the teaching gifts. You can have all the gifts that the Lord could give. But if, you, if they're not being carried out in love, what, what Paul is saying, that they actually become more destructive than they are good. But there's nothing more damaging, right? There's nothing more damaging than, than to tell somebody that you love them and to treat them like trash. 
I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it around me that sometimes we can tend to treat people like garbage around us. I'm not saying that we do that in here. I'm just saying I've seen this happen in my own spirit, like, like I've done this. But then after I've treated somebody not in a very good way that I've come around to them and I've been able to look them in the eye and say, but you know I love you, right? And you know I love you. You know Jesus loves you, right? There's nothing more destructive and more damaging than for us just to treat people like garbage and to say, hey, Jesus loves you. The main evidence that we've, that we've understood the heart of God and the mission of God shows up in how we tend to love people, love people that God has sent us to. Every person then becomes an opportunity for us to live lion-hearted and fierce love uh, around that is able then to point them to Jesus. But, but I think we can easily blow past that. We can miss those opportunities with, with saying things like, you know, I'm, I'm too busy for that. I'm too busy to have those conversations. I'm too busy to have people come into my home. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm too, uh, like that conversation might just be a little bit too awkward. That conversation is a little too complex. I'd be embarrassed to, to say anything. Here, here's how Paul explains it. And I'm going to move really quickly here. Without love, we're like a, a clanging gong in the ears of people around us. Because we're, we're making noise and we're not really making disciples. For the guy or the gal on the street who's just banging the drum, screaming up and down the streets, holding the bullhorn, you're going to hell. But we're not spending the time to sit down with them and tell them why Jesus loves them. To sit down with them and talk about how they can know who Jesus is and how they can stay out of, out of that eternity and how they can enjoy life with Christ. Paul says we're just a clanging cymbal. We're just banging on a drum. A nuisance in somebody's ears if we're not living with love. He says you can, you, you can be able to tell this mountain to, to go and, and throw itself into the ocean, but if you're not allowing him to change your heart, then what good is it? He says you can give everything that you have. You can be the best giver in the church. You can be the best giver in the world. But if it's not motivated by love for people, he says then, then, then what good is it? The main evidence that we've understood the heart of God and the mission of God shows up when we allow the gifts that he's given us to love people well, to use them to love people well, use them to love the people that God has sent us to. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read this description that Paul gives of what love is. And this is, a, um, this is often used in weddings and, and maybe rightly so, but I think it's often taken out of context in this because he's not talking about getting married kind of love here, uh, although this kind of love should show up in your marriage. What he's talking about, this is how you put other people first. This is agape kind of love. And what I want you to do is, is I, just, I want you to listen, and I want you to give the spirit room to maybe massage your heart in a couple different areas. I, I want you to hear maybe if there's an aspect that the Lord wants to create in you, to develop in you, maybe to deploy out of you, in this aspect of love, I want you to, maybe as you're listening, ask yourself, where does God want to do some work in my heart in this category of love? So listen to, to verse 4 and just let the Spirit do some work. Only He can do this. Love is patient and kind. Are you patient and kind? Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And doesn't insist on its own way or say it's not pig-headed. It's able to listen to what other people think, what other people might have in mind. 
It's not irritable, resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Father, what do you want to do in our hearts this morning? Where do you want your love to show up in our relationships? Where do you want to challenge us this morning? Where do you want to encourage us this morning? What aspects have we just been banging the drum and not loving well? Father, would you just speak to us as individuals this morning? We're not here just to do church. Father, we're here to hear from you. And so would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you uh, do maybe a work in us that we weren't expecting you to do when we walked in this morning? I was challenged this week. Um, Nobody likes to consider themselves a little kitten playing games. This is not an attack on cats. I think every one of us likes to consider ourselves a lion who roars and is just fantastic handling the gospel. But you look at these disciples, and I looked at these disciples, and I looked at these men, and I said, what drove them? What drove them from village to village to, to preach the gospel? What drove them to sit down with people and to open their table to people or to sit down at the table and, and, and not look at their watch and consider how long it's going to take? What drove these men to, to, to say, you know what, Lord, I don't care if it's my life that's on the line. I'm not raising my hand to back out. I'm raising my hand to get in. What, what was it with these men? They saw Jesus do it. They were close to him. They spent time with him. They listened to him give them the call to go and do it. And so they said they were going to do it. And they understood the power that was behind it, that it wasn't them doing the work, that it was him doing the work. And so I wonder if we'll follow that suit. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be a little cat. I want to roar like a lion. And so where's your voice this morning? Where's your roar? If you're not roaring right now, it's okay we all kind of fall into that category at times. I want to ask you to let the Spirit do some work, let the the Lord do some work in your life to get you to the point where love becomes a byproduct of the mission that He's called you to, where where God's mission leads you to this lion-hearted love, to live out of that lion-hearted love. I'm going to invite my uh, my friend and and brother up onto the stage. Uh, Ryan is part of our uh, missions team. And uh, we just got back from, from the DR, and I, I just want him to share a little bit with us um, about what God's doing there and how we've been invited into that call. And uh, yeah, Ryan, talk to us, buddy. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, this was actually my fifth time going back to the DR um, and working uh, with a guy that you will learn a lot about uh, called Miguel and his team there. Um, And I want to kind of give you a vision of what's taking place. And it's it's interesting how this passage and everything that you've been teaching on this morning falls right into place with what's happening. Um, 
And so I, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background of, of knowing what is involved with this ministry, what it looks like, how we can come alongside and partner. Um, but before I do that, like, let, I just want to tell you how this vision kind of started um, by sharing a little bit of Miguel's story. And uh, so he, in high school, um, so I don't know if James is in, James is in here, so this will be funny. Um, so in high school, he's a junior in high school, and uh, they took a mission trip to the DR. And they're down there in the DR, and the Lord did some work in Miguel's heart and completely hit a switch with him and did a 180 in his life and literally spoke to him that this is where I want you to be. And uh, he goes up to the youth pastor while he's there, and he's like, I'm not going home. <laughs> and uh, the youth pastor's like, well, Miguel, that's, that's nice, but you have to come home. Like, this is part of the deal. Like, we're down here for a period of time, and then you come back. I don't think your parents would like that. And he goes, no, call my parents. I'm not coming home. <laughs> and so they literally called his parents and had a conversation with his parents, and they're like, honey, you need to come home. Like, we'll talk about it later, you know, like... But he was, like, stuck on, I need to come home, you know, and he does come home, um, and it takes a couple more years uh, for him. He, he tries going uh, to Grace University for a year, goes there for a year, and is like, this just isn't for me. Like, I know where I'm called. I know where I need to go. Like, this is it. Um, so, again, tries to follow suit and um, ends up being led to Mexico for a couple of years to get mentored and trained, and then eventually makes his way to the DR. And um, so it's just interesting as we're talking about like this passage and stuff of knowing like if you know like what God's mission is and you know his call on your life and you know the power that's behind that, uh, anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And um, if you meet Miguel, uh, you know from the very beginning that this is a guy that is a roaring lion. Mm -hmm. Like this is a guy that knows his calling, knows this is where the Lord wants him and knows what God wants to do. And uh, so my first, um, my first trip with Miguel and a team is he, we hike up to this mountain, and they've called it Prayer Mountain now, but this was 15 years ago. So right as, as things are first starting to get it started with him and his ministry, and we hike up this mountain, and we're overlooking this valley, and he's like, there's, there's 36 villages out here, and uh, we're going to proclaim that, that God would bring his gospel to these 36 villages and that hearts and lives would be changed for the cause of Christ. And so we're up there and we're praying on this mountain and we get done and he's like, there's one last thing I like to do with every group that I bring up there. And he's like, that's just to declare whose valley this is. And he's like, and we're all kind of looking at him like, what is he talking about? You know? And he's like, I want somebody to scream out like, who owns this valley, and the rest of us to scream back, Jesus. And so, like, somebody screams out and yells, like, who owns this valley? And I love it. And then the rest of us are like, Jesus, you know? And that was the first time where I'm like, wow, this is, like, different. Like, this is, like, literally proclaiming that, like, this is God's territory. This is what God's going to do, and, and then follow suit mm -hmm. and take action. And so kind of like you're talking about, you take the 12 disciples, and you're like, you go, and you take nothing, and you do it, and, like, you know where these villages are at, now it's time to go and it's time to act. Um, and so I'm kind of giving you a vision too of telling these stories of what it is that Miguel's kind of laid out like with his team and what that looks like. And just um, for, for reference, uh, Miguel is the leader yep. of uh, Tierra Prometida. That's uh, the mission organization that um, we have partnered with 
uh, and we've got a five-year or more uh, commitment with, with this ministry to, to help plant churches, uh, or at least a church down there, and for us over the next you know, five, six, seven years to be sending teams down uh, to be a partner of this. So just to kind of yeah. taste that for you. And I've actually got a picture. I don't know if I can get up there. It's the, there we go. So there's Miguel and his team right now. Miguel is in the back with the hat. Um, his wife, Kristen, is next to him. They've got five kids. And then that's his team and the families that uh, they work with. And um, so Tierra Prometida is the name of the ministry that they, they called it, and which means the promised land. And so um, Miguel had a very clear vision, I think even from the beginning, of what God had given him as far as what this is going to look like, how we're going to do it. And yes, there were um, some things that they tried and things that didn't essentially work out right away, but they tweaked. Um, and so basically what this ministry is, is, is kind of like um, Anthony was telling us, is that it's a church planning ministry. And so the, the goal is to basically go into these villages and these communities, build those relationships, um, and then raise up leaders within that village or that community, um, train them, disciple them, mentor them, and then basically essentially plant a church in that community. And this is all a part of that partnership, right? So there's this partnership um, with a church here in the U.S. that says, hey, we want to come alongside that village, that partner, that community um, for the next five years, and, and if not more. And, but the goal is kind of five years to try to, here we've got an 11-step plan uh, to help this church evolve and grow in this community and reach um, their people. And then essentially send them out and do the exact same thing. So replicate that process. So from a church standpoint, you can partner up with them again to go plant like another church, or they might just say, hey, listen, we don't feel like we need the church uh, to go with us on this next one. We want to do it ourselves, and so they go do that, and then we find another partnership uh, to kind of start that whole process over. So that's kind of a quick version, but I want to share with you guys um, just kind of the process. Um, And this is something that I feel like was awesome for me because being there five times now, I've been able to see how this process has evolved and worked out over time. And then Anthony got to see like the, some of these churches graduate and then also how the next steps are with just starting out with a new church and a new partnership. Um, and so basically what they've done, it's crazy. I can't go into all the details. I would love to later um, at some point, but they map out you know, so going back, the 26 villages that he, you know, 15 years ago had said we were going to go reach, they've all been pretty much reached now. Um, so those 26 villages have been reached, and so that got his, him and his team saying, what's next? Like, we know that these 26 villages have been reached in this valley, now we need to go to a different providence. And that's essentially what's taking place. So all that took place in San Juan, and now we're looking at um, Lola Mina, Buena Vista, Um, And then Elias Pina, which I know doesn't mean much to you guys right now. It will when you see a map and stuff, but um, that's kind of the new area that it's evolving to. So how this works is him and his team literally map out, like, what are all the villages or all the communities that we need to go reach in this area or this next city? And when I say map out, like, Literally, I think he said 600. This last time they went out, like they came over, they came back with like over 600 villages and communities to like reach. 
I'm like, so what's your goal with that? He's like, to reach them all. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, so they literally go in. Um, so him and his team, uh, those guys will go out and they will go into those communities. And it is like an in-depth um, kind of, I would say, questioning, getting to know people. Like they find out like, who are the other churches that are involved in these communities? Who's the leader? Who's the mayor? Who's like um, any, any leaders that are in this? And they'd like try to go find those people. Um, and then they sit down with them, have conversations, kind of get a feel for how many families are here. Um, you know, where would we plant the church if we would do a church here? Is there a pastor that's here that's kind of working um, in this community that we can partner with? So they do a lot of that mapping out. Um, and then one of the trips that I went on uh, was kind of the next step of, okay, now that we've mapped out some of these villages, we've got some connections now we need a group or a team to come through and just pray over the villages and pray over. So literally, we'd walk through villages just praying down the streets. Um, if somebody came out of their house and wanted to have a conversation, that's where we'd go sit down with them and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so that evolves. And then, um, and then you've got the, the, the point of like building and developing now these relationships, right? And so I think a lot of the struggle for us is well, we go for a week or 10 days or whatever, um, but Miguel's um, vision there is that, you no, know, when we commit to five years to these villages and these, like, there's a leader that commits to going two or three times a week and spending at least three hours there. So what they'll literally do is go into these villages and they'll pray and they'll go in and whatever the Lord opens up as far as conversations, doors, whatever, they go and sit down and have a conversation. Um, so it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and then obviously evolving out of that is like the mentoring, the training, and you get leaders that raise up and church get planted and um, you start seeing that. And so you were able to see yeah. one of those churches uh, graduate and they're ready to go plant other churches like in this different community and different things like that. So they're like super excited about it. Yeah. And uh, so to be able to see like, the beginning stage of, I remember walking through this village and like just praying for God to open up doors to, there's a church here, there's pastors here, they're now like going out and they're like reciprocating this process. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was pretty, pretty cool for me. Um, but then, you know, I think the question then comes back is far as how do we get involved? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like how do, how do we come alongside of these, these other pastors and leaders and Miguel and his team and, um, and do that. And so I, I think there's, I think the five-year commitment that we kind of talked about is just, you know, we, we pray about one of the pastors and partnering up with them. Um, and then as the Lord opens that door, um, you know, we make that commitment and we say, here's this five-year commitment. This is what it looks like. I'm sure we can We'll get into more detail about that later yeah. um, as that opportunity arises. But that's literally like where we come in and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to get behind you and we're going to come down. And um, one, of, one of the cool stories, you know, that was just shared like in our debrief meeting, like with, um, they were saying, and I say they, like some of the other, we went with Brookside Church, another church that we went down with. And he was saying he was having a conversation with one of the pastors after they had come back and he's like you have no idea how much of an impact your presence makes when we're like starting this church plant or we're doing a church plant just by coming and being present because when you come into the village like 
if it's the local pastor and he knocks on the door, some people are like, it's the pastor. Like, don't, like, they don't want to have a conversation. People don't um, do that, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And, uh, but if you're, if you're with Americans, they're like, we want to sit down and we want to learn about America and we want to have a conversation or whatever. So they open up their home and they bring out chairs and they bring out coffee and, you know, you sit around there and there's like no time frame. It's literally like just having a conversation. But the pastor said like, that then in turn opened the door for me to go back mm-hmm. when I followed up with them. And now they're open to like have a conversation. Yeah. So like we do, even though we're there for a short period of time on these stints, like it does open up a lot of doors for them then to do ministry later on um, down the road. And so um, I wanted to just kind of ask three questions uh, to you guys. And, and these are all questions that I was convicted of and thought of as I was there. And um, the first one was um, that I want to ask you guys is, will you commit to asking God um, how he may be wanting to use you in this ministry? Um, And maybe that's, I just want to pray for the ministry and be disciplined in that and pray for Miguel and his team and the Lord to open up doors to share the gospel. Um, Maybe that's, hey, I, I want to join the missions team and I want to like be a part of this and be a part of the development and that kind of stuff. Maybe it's, I want to go on a trip and I want to experience this. Whatever that may be, um, I just want to challenge you guys uh, to, to pray about that. And, um, and the second thing is, uh, I know that some people may not be able to go uh, based off of just um, maybe their health or their job or things like that. Um, and so the next thing I thought of is, along with our vision with the church of like, okay, if I can't go to the DR, what is it that the Lord may be asking me to do locally? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that he may be asking me to do within um, my family, within my coworkers, within whatever that may be, uh, within Ashland, you know? Like, what, what does that look like? Um, and then the third one is the, uh, the tough ask, um, because I, I was... I was really convicted of this, um, and if there's anybody that knows me, before I got into real estate, like I was doing youth ministry, and, um, and my heart was really for discipleship, and as I was there having conversations with Miguel, and we were um, talking about discipleship, uh, one of the questions I asked him was, why, why don't you think this model works mm-hmm. in America? And, uh, and he goes, that's easy. You guys are too busy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like that's, that's sort of true. Like I, and I said, can you expand on that? And he goes, well, here, like you've seen it. People invite you in, you sit down, you could talk for hours. They bring out coffee, like, which by the way, like the average Dominican family makes $2,000 a year. So like when they bring out coffee and they serve everyone, like that's kind of a big deal because it's like, they probably don't know where the next coffee or something is going to come from. Um, but it's a, it's a thing of hospitality that they do. And so, like, as we were talking about that, I was just like, man, like, I, I'm really convicted um, just kind of like the roaring lion thing of I've, I've really lost focus of intentionality with wanting to be a part of discipleship in some way here. Um, and I, I'm sure you've heard it presented before, but it's like some people have asked, like, who's your Paul in your life? Like, who's mentoring you? Um, who's your Timothy? So who are you discipling? 
And then who's your Barnabas? Like, who's the guy that is doing that with you, alongside of you, and holding you accountable, and things like that? Um, and I just felt really convicted and came back and shared with my wife, like, man, if I look back on my life growing up, I had a guy named Nick Owens that brought me into his life, who was a volunteer in our youth group, and literally opened up his house to me, and, um, and shared his life with me. And so, like, his door was open all the time. I was over there constantly. Um, you know, like, I'm, I'm getting the opportunity to, to marry one of his daughters, like, this next year. And so it's like... like you're going to do the ceremony, I'm going right? to do the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not I marrying mean, just, his daughter. Just, 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 yeah. want, just, just want to clear that up. Then, um, then no, I'm happily like married. That. I have four kids. <laughs> yes. Um, but I remember getting that phone call from her, and she's like, you were there. The, like, her um, sister passed away with cancer um, a while back, and she's like, you were the first call I made. You were there up there with me. Like, you were the first person there to, like, comfort me and my dad and our family. And so, like, just thinking about like how deep that runs um, and where it all started with a guy that like brought me in. And um, so just challenging, um, I feel like that's, that's a tough one to ask because again, we're all busy. Yeah. Um, but that was a conversation I had with my wife of like, who are we discipling right now? Like who are the, the people that are in our life that we feel like we're being intentional about going deeper in their yeah. faith or challenging them in their faith? So um, I just want to challenge you guys with that um, and, and hopefully go home thinking about what is it that the Lord's asking me to do or who he's calling me to invest in or be a part of. Yeah. So, Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Hey, let, let's pray, and then we'll invite the team come, to come up, and uh, we'll just ask the Lord to drive this home for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for uh, this morning. Uh, You've been working in our hearts. We're, we're certain of that. Uh, you've been doing uh, work that I can't do, that Ryan can't do, that only your spirit can do in us and churning some things for us, challenging us in ways, um, confirming some things maybe that we've already been uh, working on and been chewing on. Um, but Father, I'm certain that you've been doing work. And so I pray that this morning, um, this, that we didn't just come to do church, but we're going to walk out of here ready to roar. Um, and engaging in our culture, uh, sharing the gospel um, with our neighbors and our friends and across the world and wherever it is that you call us to, Lord, that we're just not going to be silent anymore. We're done playing games. We're walking away from the, the childish things and we're moving on to roaring. We're, we're growing up and we're letting you lead our hearts. We're letting you massage our hearts. We're letting you give us love. Uh, let, like to, to challenge us in those spaces, Lord, let us take your mission with a lion-hearted conviction, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.